We're looking at Acts chapter 15. We'll get there in a moment. Because there's a story there that uh, it's one of many stories in the Bible that leaves me feeling sad. Because Paul and Barnabas, who had been working together with incredible success for quite a long time, uh, planting churches, they were an amazing team. They had such a strong disagreement that they parted company. And it just doesn't doesn't feel good when that happens. But anyway, let's look at it. It's Acts 15, 37. Um, so verse 37, Barnabas wanted to take John, also called Mark, with them. But Paul didn't think it was wise to take him because he had deserted them in Pamphylia and had not continued with them in the work. So a previous ministry trip, high-pressure situation, unity of the team, everybody functioning well, really important. And uh, John Mark had just walked out and had not proved himself to be up to the task. So they had such a sharp disagreement that they parted company. Barnabas took Mark and sailed for Cyprus, but Paul chose Silas and left. Commended by the believers to the grace of the Lord, he went through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. Now we're not told how they handled the disagreement, uh, nor does Luke tell us who he considered to be in the right or the wrong, if there is a right or wrong. Uh, in this situation, we're just told that it was a sharp disagreement and the, the Greek word there is they were stirred up. So, you know, that's all the detail that we're given. It's easy to read into the passage that there was a blazing row with heated emotions and strong accusations. I would hope that because of the godly character of Paul and Barnabas that that is less likely. Uh, and that it's more likely that they handled the disagreement in a godly way, that they were able to talk the issues through without attacking each other. Uh, they were able to deal with the problem rather than attacking each other. And then that they were able to agree to disagree, uh, even if they had a strongly felt uh, different opinions, without a breakdown in relationship. That's what I hope. <laughs> but they were human, like you and me, and the intensity of the situation may have got the better of them. And certainly it says that they were stirred up. It was a very difficult situation there. The outcome was one team became two with double the impact, so yeah. maybe it wasn't such a bad thing after all, but we're not quite sure how they got to that point. But have you noticed that people do people stuff? That's this week's deep theology. People do people stuff, uh, as pointed out some years ago by Carl Tuttle. And uh, people outside of the church definitely do people stuff, don't they? And really, I, I wouldn't expect them to be any different. I wouldn't expect them to be like Jesus or to follow him because they don't know him. So of course they'll do people stuff. But... <laughs> People inside the church also do people stuff because we're people. And that shouldn't surprise us and we shouldn't get upset about it. Uh, and there needs to be a lot of grace towards each other uh, because of that. People do people stuff whether they're inside the church or outside of the church because we are all fallen and we need a saviour. Yeah. And you know, even followers of Jesus are not perfect. You may have 
Notice that in other people, even if not in yourself. And isn't it wonderful, though, when some, some people, when they come to faith, there is a radical change. And that change may be seen in, you know, that they stop taking drugs or they, you know, that addiction is broken immediately or uh, they stop having sex outside of heterosexual marriage or they stop gossiping or they stop stealing or they, you know, there's something, uh, some radical change that happens in their life. But even if there is that big change, they're still people and they're still broken people and it's a lifelong journey of uh, learning to become more and more like Jesus. It's easy to expect people who have become followers of Jesus to be different, and we should be. A lot of Jesus' teaching was about that, wasn't it? Just take the Sermon on the Mount as an example about our heart attitudes and our behavior that results from that as well. Uh, we should be different to people outside of church, but at the same time, we're not going to be perfect. You may have also noticed that church leaders are people, and people do people stuff. And leaders are not perfect, although sometimes we put them on a pedestal, maybe because they've been had some impact on our life in some way. You know, they're a great preacher, great worship leader, you know, amazing prophecy, uh, wonderful pastoral care, you know, all those fantastic things. But the trouble with putting them on the pedestal is that we're then shocked when we find out actually yeah. <clears throat> they are human after all and they're just like us and there needs to be huge grace towards them as well. Now the Bible does give us higher criteria for those who are in leadership and we should expect, just as we expect, a change when people move from not following Jesus to following Jesus. Um, particularly in passages uh, like Timothy and Titus, there are uh, stricter guidelines for those who are in leadership in the church. Um, but at the same time, uh, none of us are perfect. You know, Paul and Barnabas had a sharp disagreement and separated from each other, even though they were two of the most influential leaders and most godly people to have lived. So if it can happen to them, if they can have problems, then it should be normal that we should expect problems to come up. You may have seen recently in the media a number of stories of Christian leaders whose character and behaviour appears to have fallen short. Mm -hmm. And I say appears because it's, it is all, uh, a lot under of it is discussion. conjecture, yeah, under discussion and... You know, there are accusations out there that are being investigated and I don't want to make any comment on any of them. You'll be pleased to hear. But what has saddened me is the way that these situations are being handled by some people. And so I thought it would be good for us to look at what the Bible says because the Bible gives us a way to handle problems and disagreements that is different to the way the world does it. And that should be one of the things that stands out to those who don't know Jesus, that the way we deal with problems is different because we love each other and because uh, the result of our loving each other is that we, we treat each other differently than we would have done otherwise. 
So let's have a look at what Jesus said. Um, so just scoot back in your, on your phone to Matthew chapter 18. Just quite a short passage there. Matthew chapter 18. Uh, I'm using the New Living Translation, so your wording may be a little different depending on, uh, on what you're using, which translation. So Matthew 18, 15. If another believer sins against you, go privately and point out the offence. If the other person listens and confesses it, you've won that person back. I believe that means you've won them back into relationship. But if you're unsuccessful, take one or two others with you and go back again, so that everything you say may be confirmed by two or three witnesses. If the person still refuses to listen, take your, cause, take your case to the church. Then if he or she won't accept the church's decision, treat that person as a pagan or a tax collector. So some very simple steps here to deal with any kind of conflict. The first thing is to deal with it privately and personally. Secondly, if necessary, take a witness. Thirdly, the final decision rests with the church leaders and the outcome, if they don't respond, is to have nothing to do with them. So let's look briefly at each of those. So the first one is to deal with it privately and personally. So most things can be dealt with simply in this way. Now, notice that this, it prevents gossip because I don't go and uh, talk to Aileen about Rebecca. If I have a problem with Rebecca, I go to her. If I have a problem with yeah. Aileen, I go to her. Going to someone else and triangulating has no benefit whatsoever in resolving the issue. So it gets rid of gossip and potentially also slandering the other person because uh, maybe I misunderstood, maybe I misheard them, uh, maybe I only heard half of the conversation um, and so potentially I might have said something that would put the other person in a bad light and it can only be resolved by going one to one. Uh, so Jesus makes that quite clear there. In our current culture and social climate, I really struggle with some of the stuff on social media and especially some of the Christian social media. It's the worst possible place to report or read who has said what about whom. It's full of gossip, it's full of misrepresentation, uh, people passing on things that they've only heard part of, were not witnesses to, and in many cases it, it's probably quite slanderous as well. I believe that is ungodly and unhelpful to do that. And to a world which is looking for a better way, this stinks. And it brings the good news of Jesus into disrepute, I believe. You can disagree if you like, but that's the way I see it. Sometimes I have to ask myself, do I really need to know all the accusations and all the sordid details? If I hear that a leader has been uh, accused of something, do I really need to go and dig through all the details and all the different articles about that? Mm. Or do I just, it's flagged up, I'll pray for them. Yeah. That's probably all I need to do, isn't yeah. it? Do I really need to be informed about everything? You know, what, what's, what are these, if I see these things going on in my life, what is it stirring inside me? What is it revealing? Uh, is it uh, a need for control? Because having to have all the information is a, 
is a control kind of thing. Um, so what is it that's stirring in me? What is it that uh, God is wanting to do in my life um, that, uh, that these things reveal? Uh, because God's always working. So the first thing is to go one-to-one. -one. Second thing, if necessary, take a witness. So if one-to-one -one doesn't resolve it, the next step is not to splash out on social media, uh, not to go off in umbrage to a different church, but to go with a witness of the event or an impartial witness to help communication. So those two things can be quite useful there. If somebody saw what had happened or heard what was said, they can be a witness and can come along with you to confirm your testimony. It's not always as straightforward as that though, is it? Because there isn't always a witness. Uh, a couple some years back joined this church uh, from another church. Uh, I remember sitting down probably in here with them and they said that an elder in the other church had made a pass or several passes at this lady and uh, the, the elder denied it. She was convinced about it. The, the other church believed the elder and you can understand why because the Bible says don't uh, don't entertain an accusation against an elder unless it's brought by two or three witnesses. So uh, you can see why they believe that. But I believed her because I didn't think they would have left the other church or told the story. And also there were some very slight signs of emotional damage that had been done. So anyway, they were with us. So we just we just loved them. But there were no witnesses. So it was really difficult to make any kind of a reasonable judgment on that. But sometimes it can be really helpful to have an independent person along to sit in with you. I've changed the names on this story, but uh, a guy called Tony was upset with me. I know you'll be surprised to hear that, but uh, Tony was upset with me and we talked about it and it wasn't getting sorted out. And so uh, James came and sat with us as we talked it through. And after a little while, when we'd been, you know, just chatting backwards and forwards, uh, let's get the names right, James stopped the conversation and said to Tony, can you hear what Andrew's saying? Can you hear that Andrew's saying that he loves you and that he enjoys being with you and he respects you as a leader? And uh, Tony had to say, no, I can't hear that. So it was really helpful having somebody else in the room who, who could actually hear all that was being said. Um, unfortunately for Tony, he was carrying some hurts from the past that were being projected onto me simply because I was someone in authority. It didn't really have, I don't think, anything to do with me on that occasion. But it was just so helpful to have James there. Someone that we both trusted and respected. So if necessary, take a witness. Third one is the final decision rests with the church leaders. You know, I hope that in the church there are enough wise people to solve problems and to be able to decide between what is right and wrong. And uh, whether you agree with it or not, Jesus said, this is where authority lies. 
it's with the leaders of the church. And uh, so if leaders make a decision over us, then we need to be able to accept that. And one of the things that I've seen is that learning to come under authority is one of the most important lead, uh, lessons for potential leaders to learn. Mm. And um, in the book, The Making of a Leader, it, it says that is a phase that leaders go through as they're learning. Um, so when Mandy and I joined the vineyard, I thought we'd be back here in Oxford after a year planting a church. When I told John Mumford, he said, no, don't come with an agenda. So I came under his authority because that was something God had been uh, teaching me over the last few years. And I knew that if John was wrong, then he was accountable to God for that decision. And I was accountable to God for whether I came under John's authority. Mm. Uh, that decision was not something that I was supposed to have control over. And so I could trust John as a godly leader and I could trust God to make it clear. And in fact, on that occasion, that is exactly what happened. God, God spoke to him. In, uh, in the vineyard, we used to have overseers who looked after the church leaders. We now have area leaders. And so if there's a problem that the inner church that can't be resolved, then both parties can go to the area leaders and, and it can be resolved that way. So uh, some years back, quite some years back now, um, a couple in our church asked to go and see our overseers because there was, again, a disagreement. And so after they had been, Mandy and I went to see our overseers. And it did feel as though they got in there first and that, you know, they were heard before us. And, uh, but I remember coming away, driving away from that meeting, having been told off, uh, grumbling. <laughs> uh, grumbling to Mandy and to myself because it felt unfair the way that it had happened. It felt that a lot of the problem was with the other couple and not just with me. And Mandy stopped me and she said, you need to listen to what has been said. You need to listen to the correction that's been brought because um, even if there is stuff that the other couple need to know and learn, there is something here that you need to take on board. And uh, so that was, a, that was a really good lesson and I sought to learn from it. So if at any time uh, anyone in the church has a problem with me, then come and talk to me. If we can't resolve it, then the way we escalate it is to our area leaders. And then certainly I will accept their decision and any correction that they put in place. So that's just a simple way that we, we do it. And then the, the fourth thing that Jesus gives us here is that if they reject that decision, have nothing to do with them. And that sounds a bit drastic, doesn't it? A bit heavy. But um, it needs to be clear. Because people who don't accept authority don't come under, a under that, um, the decision that's been made potentially are dangerous and rebellious and the outcome of their lives will include divisiveness and will hurt other people. And that's why it's important. And, you know... There are stronger people in the church who won't be affected by it, but there are people who are more emotionally vulnerable, people who are younger in their faith, 
who are much more likely to be impacted by uh, this kind of a person who uh, doesn't accept authority. Um, there was a man in our church who was having an affair because people do people stuff, unfortunately. And uh, so having worked through and talked with him and everything uh, with great gentleness and love, we told him that his behavior wasn't compatible with being a follower of Jesus and that if he chose to uh, behave like that, he was choosing not to be part of the church. So we put the decision very much in, uh, in his court and unfortunately he left um, and he was a good friend. Uh, he, was the one, he was the first person I'd ever led to Jesus and uh, so it was not a nice thing to, to have to do. The result of it was that some weeks later he returned to his wife and I believe that taking a firm line with him was an important part of saying to him, this is not okay. Now, if you, if you think back to the first century where there was only one church in each city, having nothing to do with someone or having them removed from membership of the church would have a huge impact because um, there was no other community for them to be part of. They would already have been sort of branded by society as one of those weirdos who follow the way. Um, and so... But these days, people just pop down the road to the next church. And um, it's too easy for people just to say, well, you know, you, you think what you like. And they just go to the next church, carry on doing what they are doing, and no questions are asked. Um, but one of the things that has the biggest impact of turning people away from the Christian faith is Christians who live like pagans. And people look at our lives and they say, well, Where's the difference? You know, if God is really real, what difference does it make in your life? If my life is no different to my culture, my faith is empty. Did they say that about Jesus when he was meeting with the tax collectors and the prostitutes? And, yeah. You know, I remember my husband telling me a story when he was working in the States and he, in this very big hotel and Billy Graham was staying there and he wasn't a Christian then, we were, we were both Catholics, and he said, oh, I saw these women going in and out of his door there, you know, and, and it's only after I said, well, they, they might, have been, might have been leading them to Jesus, they would have been, they would have been alone there, but you know how people, uh, mm -hmm. he wasn't, he just mentioned that afterwards, I mean, he's, you know, he came to faith and that, but, uh, but it, it, one has to be very careful too, mm -hmm. to know the facts, yeah. You know, and because what you see is not always what you see. You know? Yeah, that's true. But we, we can be smart about that. Yeah. You know, John Mumford, when we were at Southwest London, he said you need to be squeaky clean yes. and be seen to be clean as well. Yes. So we have some, we have uh, the Ten Commandments of Sexual Purity, which include things like I will not travel in a car on my own yeah, with a member of the opposite yeah, sex. Yeah unless I'm related to them. I won't meet someone for coffee or, yeah. you know, I won't go into a house if I'm, you know, if I'm delivering something, you know, compassion ministry, I won't go into the house yeah. if they are there on their own. Yeah. Because 
they could easily accuse me of something, but also somebody might see something and... Yeah, and like Hutsby was know. the woman with the women and the men, yeah. fighting for the men and just... Yeah. Yeah. So you know we can be, we can be wise about this, and uh, we don't we don't need to be caught out, because um, Satan is sneaky, isn't he? And he will attack wherever we are most vulnerable. Another important passage in the Bible that sort of goes alongside this one is one Corinthians sixteen. Sorry, one Corinthians six verses one to seven. We haven't got time to look at that today, but just to flag that so that you can look at it on your own um, but really that it just builds on what this passage that we've looked at and what Jesus said and pointed out that it's better to be wronged than to take another believer to court yeah. um, and it says it, this is about how we behave within the church this isn't saying necessarily that you should never take somebody to court who is you know, trying to destroy your business or whatever. But this is about how we operate as a family, as a community of faith, and that them, there should be wise people in the church who can uh, make decisions about this without us parading our dirty linen in public and taking people to court. And, you know, and it says that it's better to be wronged. And that's... That's sometimes hard to swallow, especially when there are large sums of money involved, and that's, that's happened to us. Um, but it's friendship is more important than finance. Relationship is more important than results. Mm. And God can make it up. Yeah, and he does. He does, yeah. yeah. He takes care of us. We don't need to worry about it. Even, yeah. Um, so Jesus encourages us to deal with problems privately and personally, going one-to-one, -one, with no triangulation or gossip. If it can't be resolved that way, take a witness of what happened or an independent witness to your meeting. And then escalation ends with a decision by the church leaders or the leaders in the church. Not necessarily, it doesn't have to be Mandy and me, but because that puts a lot of, probably too much weight on us but a group of leaders within the church, okay? And then if that's ignored, remove the person from the church or from relationship. And as, as tough as that sounds, it works. And we need clear guidelines like that to help us live as light in a dark world. Because people do people stuff. And there will be relational uh, misunderstandings and problems and Jesus said it's how we love and how we treat each other that uh, in makes it clear that we are his followers and part of loving Jesus and loving each other is dealing with things differently than our culture does now this talk isn't a sort of rah 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 let's take the next hill let's win this country for Jesus but actually I think it will do that because uh, Jesus said it is uh, through the way we treat each other, whether the way we love each other, that um, the world will see that we're his disciples. What does it say about unruly dogs? <laughs> uh, she can't help it. She's when they're going a bit mad, it's... <laughs> Poor old thing. People get like that. But the way we live has, has more impact than we realise. Much more impact than our worship times and our yeah. preachings and our, you know, some of the other things that we do. 
and a spiritually hungry world is watching what we're doing and uh, so I think this is fantastic news because there's a simple way to deal with problems to resolve it without things getting messy and you know uh, you know so much of, of what Jesus taught is dealing with this kind of thing about how we live I think we, it's, it's sometimes easier when you're a, a small church because we very much you know accountable to it but when you've got these really massive churches you know people uh, I just think there's more um, I'd say chance but gossip and you just you know whereas we're all so much more accountable because we mm. that's just yeah well that's why difficult. small groups have always been important but yeah. the, the more the bigger a church is the higher profile the leaders have Absolutely. the more power they have yeah and um the uh, i think it was lord salisbury who said power tends to corrupt yeah. And absolute power tends to corrupt, absolutely. Uh, you know, it's usually quoted differently, isn't it? it? Is, yeah, but it doesn't have to corrupt. Um, but, yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah.